Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Hallelujah. How many of you have called your mom yet? Maybe you're sitting by her today. That's a good thing. Reach out and touch them and let them know you thank God for them today. I, like I said, as I began earlier, before I get into my message, I know that Mother's Day evokes a lot of different, different emotions and memories, thoughts. It was a year ago this weekend that I buried my grandmother. And so a lot of memories, you know, that I recall. And uh, I know that many of you have those same memories. Some of you have lost your moms and and you you remember those moments. And so I just encourage you today to allow the Holy Spirit to just speak peace into your heart. I found this, actually one of our staff found this poem. And it really gives the broad spectrum of what Mother's Day really is. And I want to just read this to you because it really sets the 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 stage for what I want to just share with you today from the Word of God. I'm going to switch over, Austin, if you don't mind. It says this. It says, To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and they wear the badge of food stain on their clothes, we appreciate you. To those who have experienced loss through miscarriage, failed adoption, or runaway, we weep with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes and prods and tears and disappointment, we walk with you. And we ask that you would forgive us if we say something foolish because we don't mean it to make it harder than what it already is. To those who are foster moms or mentor moms or spiritual moms, can I just tell you we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with their children, we rejoice with you. To those who have disappointment and heartache and distance between you and your children, we sit with you. To those who have lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. And to those who have experienced abuse at the hands of your mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who have lived through driving tests, medical tests, and overall testing of motherhood, we're better off for having you in our midst. And to those who have aborted children, we remember them and we remember you as well. To those who are single, and long to be married, and long to mother their own children, we understand that life may not have turned out the way you thought or that you longed for it to be. To those who are step-parents, we walk with you in those complex paths. And to those who envision lavishing love on grandchildren and yet the dream has not yet come, we hope with you. I don't hope with you yet. To those who will have empty nests in the upcoming year, we cry and we also rejoice with you. To those who have placed children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness, 
and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprise, we anticipate with you. So, ladies, I want you to understand this. We walk with you because we know that mothering is not for the faint of heart, but it is for tough ladies. So I'd like to just do something this morning. I would like for everyone, all of the, the uh, men and the people who are not mothers in this room this morning, I would like for us to stand and I would like to give all of our moms a standing ovation. If you're not a mom, would you just stand right now and would you just give these folks a standing ovation for what they've done? We salute you today. We thank God for you. We thank God for you. And we want you to be remembered on this special day. It's a, it's a blessing that you have uh, decided to worship with us. I know that many of you have plans. I know that uh, I was able to see my mom yesterday. We, we took a real quick 36-hour trip to Colorado Springs. Watched a track meet. We took off yesterday mo- or uh, Friday morning. Made the turnaround. And I was a little nervous when the flight got delayed yesterday afternoon. I'm thinking, man, I'm going to have to call my staff. Somebody's preaching for Mother's Day because I don't know if I'm going to make it. But we did. We made it. And uh, a few Cokes and, uh, and uh, some bag of peanuts later, I showed up uh, here at church. So we're, we're just thankful that, that uh, you're here today. I know many of the plans. But I pray that God would just help you. If you, have, if you have distant relationships with your mom, maybe your mom's not a believer. And that causes distance. If you are a believer and your mom's not, that causes some great distance in your relationship with them my prayer for you today is that you would not allow that distance uh, and that gap to to be so far that you can't just say mom i love you wherever you are whatever you're doing however you stand i love you anyway and i'm praying for you and that's the key right there i'm praying for you mom because god's love uh, is loving through me loving you I want to get started this morning. I want you to take your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. And as I get going, I want to remind you our VBS is starting in about four weeks, five weeks. Am I right? Five weeks. And we're about uh, a third of the way there as far as registrations. I think we've got around 40-something registrations. Um, Our goal is to have 100 and I've already been seeking the Lord because if we have a hundred kids running around in this church, right here in this room, uh, it's going to take a lot of prayer. So if you're not a part of the VBS team, you have uh, just got drafted to be a part of the VBS team. Not only maybe to be here, but to pray that God would help us to keep our sanity as we do VBS this year. But I'm thanking God that we're going to have an opportunity to reach children Uh, with the love of Jesus in our community. How many of you know that's a necessary thing in this generation for sure? So hold your place there in 2 Kings chapter 4. One of the reasons why we're doing this VBS is because most of you would probably agree with me that we are living in a post-Christian America. If you look around, you, you would probably have to honestly assume that that's the case. 
Now, when I say post-Christian America, I don't mean that the church is dead and I don't mean that Christianity is dead. What I mean by that is that the influence of biblical Christianity, of biblical morals, biblical values, those things have been diminished by our culture to the point to where several generations previous or even the early church would probably have a difficult time recognizing our generation as a Christian generation. A part of that is not just the morals or the ethics or the values, but it's also the parenting. We live in a post-Christian parenting culture in America. Children are not raised in with a basic premise of biblical Christian values. It's just not the case. We don't see that. And I can tell you that that can be proven. All you have to do is go substitute teach for one day at one of our schools here in Denton. I've got teachers that are shaking their head right now. Absolutely. My wife works at the public school. She sees it every day. Most of the children, and that is a majority of the children, do not come from basic biblical Christian homes. Many of those homes are broken homes, and almost uh, all of those children have not had that foundation of what the Bible speaks and addresses that. And And it's because Christian parenting has been lost in our culture. So it's no wonder when you look around and you read the newspaper or you see headlines that you see some of the tragedies taking place in the younger generation's It's because they have lost or it's been absent the Christian values and Christian teachings. It's just not been there. Children that are in high school or younger than that, if you are my age, we have no one else to blame but us. I can't blame it on the schools. I can't blame it on the teachers. I can't blame it on the government. I have to blame myself because we have failed as parents in many cases to lead our children and to teach them right from wrong and biblical values. But I'm not here to beat up on moms today. So don't say, you know, look at your mom and just right now if she's here to just say, Mom, uh, we're not here to beat up on you. We're here to celebrate you. But I do want to call everybody in the room to the attention of the fact that our beliefs, our Christian values should inform our everyday life. And it should not just inform our everyday life, it should impact the atmosphere of our homes and our relationships with our children. Because I will submit to you that beliefs and your faith is only as legitimately Christian as the degree in which it lines up to the Word of God and it's reflected in your daily life. The legitimacy of your Christian profession lies in your daily life fruit that you bear and if you want to know the truth about any mom or any dad in the home all you have to do is go to the preschool and ask them they will tell you those little boogers are as honest as abraham lincoln i mean they will tell you the truth mommy fought with dad today really where did that come from 
You don't even have to ask those little rats sometimes. They'll just tell on you. You have to know that our lives, moms and dads, and our values are noticed by our children and you cannot fool them. No matter how often you take them to church or how many times you grab that Bible on your way out the door or how much you talk about Christianity, they see you for what you are. And that's the truth. So we expect, you know, the secular world and the culture around us to impact those who don't claim to know God, but the issue is that we're actually seeing some of the same things take place within Christian families and in the church as well. And that is a scary thing. Because the trend that we're seeing in a lot of homes is that people are tipping their hats to the Word of God and maybe giving an amen every once in a while, but there is a disconnect between what the Word of God says, what they know, what they confess, what they believe, what they're, what they're taught, and how it affects their emotions and their opinions and their guidelines as far as the home is concerned. You know, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I believe in our Christian homes, in your home, mom, dad, there should be a transformation that is taking place. If you know Jesus, there should be a, your home should be different than the neighbor next door if they don't know the Lord. You just should be, it should be different. And so what I want you to understand this morning before we read the text is this. All of our relationships, whether it's your mom, dad, son, daughter, grandma, grandpa, whoever it is, your home should be directly impacted by the Scriptures. And by the truth of the Word of God. Every part of your life, your finances, your job, your marriage, and most importantly on this Mother's Day, your parenting should be informed by the Word of God. Because you are setting the the path for your children to follow. In 2 Kings chapter 4, there is a story. It's a story about a Shunammite woman. It's an important story because it teaches us what a real, godly, honorable mom really looks like. And what I want to do this morning is I'm going to read just a few verses of this story. I'm not going to read the entire passage. But I'm going to pull out some qualities that show you what just some, just some things, characteristics of what a godly mom and attributes that, that, that a godly mom would have. In 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 19, the Bible says this. In the middle of the story, speaking about the son that this mother has, he's out in the field, he says, My head, my head, he said to his father, his father told a servant, and I want you to underline this, because this is the title of my message, Carry him to his mother. Carry him to his mother. Skip down to verse 30. The child's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and he followed her. her. Skip down to verse 36. And Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. And he did. And when she came, he said, Take your son. And she came in and she fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. And she took her son 
and went out. Father, I pray that you would just inspire your word this morning, Lord, to be sufficient for us, Lord. For our moms, I pray that, God, that you would let it, Lord, fill the hole or the gap that some may feel, Lord, on this Mother's Day. I pray that your word, O oh God, would encourage not just the mothers in the room, but all the ladies, Lord, even the, the fellas, Lord, who are here, to see the qualities, Lord, that we need to possess, Lord, in order to, Lord, turn this generation, Lord, around. Whether it's our children or the children that, Lord, have no one to see and to look at and to care for them. Lord, I pray that you would help, Lord God, the church. Help us, Lord God, your people. Lord, to be the example, Lord, in this culture that we live in of what it means to be godly in our homes. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. I want, to, I want to tell you this morning that a mother's place, moms, your place is central in the life of your home, especially in the life of your children. There is no other person on this planet. I know we live in a generation of absent fathers, and we hear a lot of that. We hear a lot of talk about absent fathers in the home. But I can submit to you that there is no person in a child's life that will have more impact upon their development and their direction than the mom. That's a great responsibility because you will affect your children, ladies, more than any other person on the planet. And it is a thankless job because there will be times that you will be required to do things when you are so tired but let me tell you there are children that are desperate for godly ladies to lead them and to influence their life you see a real mom whose job gets thankless she's required to do a lot of things a real mom will get up in the middle of the night and change you when you have a wet diaper or when you have wet the bed are there any moms in the room who can raise their hand to that a real mom will sit up and she'll get up when she's exhausted and she will warm your bottle or she will feed you and she will burp you till you go back to sleep. A real mom will tell you you're going to be great and then she'll cry like a baby when she walks you into that first day of kindergarten. How many of you can remember that? A mom's required to help you with your schoolwork even when she's exhausted when she gets home. She will eat the leftovers so that you can have first choice. She'll make you brush your teeth. And she'll always tell you when it's time to get a haircut. She'll stay up with you or she'll stay up after you've gone to bed folding clothes or doing laundry that you just couldn't get to. She'll yell and scream when you hit that home run, even if it's a foul ball. She'll feed the dog even when you forget. She'll make you finish your supper before dessert. And you'll be thankful because as you get older, you will understand why. She'll make you, or she'll care for you by watching what you watch on TV. She'll know what websites you're visiting. She'll say things like this, I know you can do it. I'm so proud of you. Great job. Even when you come in last. She'll weep in prayer for you to live right while you're a teenager so that she won't have to weep a lifetime when you don't. 
She'll cry when you get married, but she'll rejoice when you have successes in life. And the most important job that a mom has is that she will never stop loving you. That's what a mom does. You see, a good mother is just about the best thing a kid could have. Kids can get a lot of things, and they can have a lot of toys, but I can just tell you the greatest thing that a a kid could ever have is a good mom. Good mom. In this story, the story of the Shunammite woman, it's a story of the prophet Elisha. Elisha was a man of God. His servant Gehazi, they traveled back and forth through that part of the world, and they that visited, he was a teacher and a, and a prophet of God, and he had the school of prophets that he was responsible for, training up young ministers in the Lord. And it just so happened that many of his travels led him through a little village called Shunem, thus the name Shunemite woman. As he passed through this little village of Shunem, Elisha and his serpent came across a young couple. This woman and her husband who lived in Shunem. The Bible says that she was a great woman, or she was a woman of means, which which meant that she was not only a good lady, a nice lady, but an important lady, and she had resources, that God had blessed them, and that she was able to to provide certain things. And so as, as time went by, as this prophet of God was passing through Shunem, this woman and her husband invited him. She went and she approached this prophet, and she said, Hey, I would like to make dinner for you. I would like to open my house, and we want to just give you a meal. We want to, to just uh, uh, bring you in and, and, and give you something that's nice. And, and that's exactly what she did. And in the, as the story goes along, you'll see where the son ends up getting sick. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. And the phrase, carry him to his mother, is mentioned. I just want to just kind of springboard off of that this morning because that phrase has probably been said about you at least once or twice in your lifetime. I know that it's been said about me. When I was young, I was probably about seven, six, seven years old, and after church we were having a water fight, and I didn't have any water balloons, and I didn't bring my, my uh, water gun. So I, had, I went in the kitchen of the church, and I grabbed a glass jar, and I filled it full of water, and as a seven-year-old, I thought that was a smart thing to do. It was not a smart thing to do. Because as we're running around around the church, and we ran into the parking lot, I accidentally tripped. And I slammed that glass jar right on the concrete, right into my hand. And I've got scars that are still there. And I'll never forget, as the crowd assembled around me and blood's running all over the place, one of the first things that I heard from that group of people, carry him to his mother. You know, there's something about mom that she knows more about first aid than dad does. Dad could be a doctor, but you want to get to mom because mom can just make things feel better. And that's what they said. Carry him to his mother. Better at first aid. Just natural in accidents. Moms are just good at that. They can respond to things like that, especially when it's their kid. I remember uh, Shannon, you know, she's a nurse. She's been a nurse for a lot of a lot of years. And she's one of those great moms. I mean, especially in, if it's, a, if it's a sickness or an accident or trauma or something like that. We were at the mall one time. She's a nurse, of course. She was, we were younger. We were at the mall one time and we're walking down the mall. And I look over and there's kind of a group of people over there standing and there's a man laying on his back, flat of his back, laying in the middle of the mall. And he's just kind of laying there like this. 
And before I could say anything, Shannon runs over to this man that's just laying on the floor in the middle of the mall, kind of some people standing around. She gets down on top of him to check to see if he's breathing. She's going to do CPR and do her nurse thing. He's laying there with his eyes closed. And I get over there, and about the time I get over there, a big burly guy grabs Shannon by the arm and picks her up and says, Ma'am, what are you doing? She said, I'm about to give him CPR. He said, Ma'am, we're about to arrest him. He is just laying there. <laughs> Something about that mother nature just kicks in. I need, I need to help. Carry him to his mother. That's what they're going to say. And I pray that today that that could be said of you, Mom. You see, this, this lady, she, she entertained the presence of this prophet of God. One of the, one of the key characteristics that, that you'll see of, of, a, of a great mom is she's generous and she's hospitable. Not just Johnny on the spot, but She's generous and hospitable. Elisha, this man, he passed through this village. She invited him to come in. She made a meal for him, the Scripture says, because she made an atmosphere that was welcome. You know, one of the great attributes of a great mom and a godly mom is she can create an atmosphere that is welcoming and hospitable. There's been times when kids in our neighborhood, that, it, it kind of developed that way. Kids in our neighborhood, would, when, when our kids were even younger, they would just show up at my house and walk in the front door. Because they knew they were just welcome. One time, it's just me at home, and uh, my, I'm, I'm downstairs, and the kids are upstairs, the boys are upstairs, and one of, the, one of Seth's buddies, who lives just a few few houses down he he just comes in the house i'm sitting there uh in my bedroom and i hear the door open and shut and i walk into the living room and nobody's in there i know the boys are upstairs i walk into the pantry and in my pantry is standing the neighbor kid he's looking at my food trying to find him a snack i was like caleb what are you doing he's like oh mr matter i'm sorry you know he's like the eddie haskell of the neighborhood i mean you just had to know him it's oh, Miss Metter, I'm sorry. I just I I, I thought Miss Metter was here. She 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 usually always has good snacks. I was like, yeah, my snacks, pal. Get out of my pantry. Oh, okay, yeah, Miss Metter, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Shannon had the way. It was Shannon that made the makes our home so hospitable, inviting. You know, it, it's her. It's it's what she does because she has made every kid in the neighborhood her kid. That's just kind of the, how it works, and that's wonderful about a mom. She can make all of the kids just feel great. I can always tell, I can always tell a lady who has just that, that characteristic or quality because she can go over to our kids' area and these little bitty things, they'll just kind of gather around her, kind of, you know, they'll just kind of get close. Or they'll they'll go to her if she has a problem. And I can tell you, just about every lady, I think probably all the ladies that we have that help with our kids, that's just how they are. Our kids just kind of kind of gravitate to them. It's just like, man, it just feels good. It feels like mom. I can just kind of stand close to them. They'll teach me and they'll 
take care of me and do whatever needs to be done. And it's just a wonderful thing because that's a, that's a characteristic of a mother, a godly mom of what God wants in you. And, and, and part of that, and being hospitable to not just the kids and to the neighbors and people that aren't your own, is being welcoming to the presence of God. That's one of the, the most important things because, you know, our home, it's not just that it's inviting, that Shannon's made it inviting. It's because the presence of the Lord is there. She invites the presence of God there. She prays and says, Lord, I want you to fill our home. Let our home be a house where the kids in our neighborhood can come and where our children can be, where the presence of God is there and, he, and he is, he's moving upon their heart. That's why I think that kids in the neighborhood just walk in the door. They just feel at home. And that's the way this lady was, this Shunammite woman. She invited the man of God, and she said, I look, I want to cook you a meal. Just come over. Just spend time. Well, the story doesn't end there because in verse 9, what happens is, is she recognizes something about him. She recognizes something. She says this to her husband in verse 9. She says, surely, truly, this is a man of God. After he comes and we have dinner together, she looks at her husband and she said, you know what? I noticed something about him. He's a man of God. He is absolutely a man of God. She was able to recognize. She was able to see the Spirit of God upon Elisha. One of the great characteristics of a mom is spiritual perception. A godly, good mom, she can determine the spiritual, make a spiritual assessment of people just like that. It's more than women's intuition. It is a spiritual discernment that comes because the Spirit of God lives within that mother and she can determine, hey, I know. Many of you moms, you know exactly what I'm talking about because, and I use Shannon for an example. As a matter of fact, she's not here because she went to go be with her mom. I said, you go for it. She, she has been, come to me several, on several occasions. And as we've pastored over 25 plus years, been on the mission field, there'd be people that'd come through and she'd, she'd come up to me after service. She said, you need to watch that person. I was like, what? They seem really nice. She said, Mm-mm. nope, you need to watch them. And I can just tell you, not perfect, but nine times out of ten, she's right on. She's right on. And it's not the fact that she's just using some kind of gut instinct. It is the Spirit of God. Because the mothering, uh, the, 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 the mothering instinct and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives within her is giving her understanding about what's around. Many of you moms have done this when your kids brought home some friends and you said, hey, look, mm-mm. That little kid right there, he's bad news. You don't quit, you quit hanging around him. Oh, come on, Mom. He's cool. He's No, he's not. You quit running around him. Oh, I'm going to so-and-so's house. No, you're not going to their house. That's a good job for a mom. You need to be able to be the one that you're going to run. You're going to be the, the guard, tackle, and center for that kid because you're going to run shotgun for him. You're going to say, look, 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 You need to see for them because most of the time, kids' spiritual eyes and discernment is not nearly as good as yours. 
Moms, you need to make that choice. You need to help them and encourage your children. I think we're probably in the situation that we are in our generation because moms have stayed too silent for too long. Can I tell you, moms, listen to me, young moms especially, your kids don't need a cool mom that's their best friend. Your kids need a mother that will watch out for their, their, their well-being and who is looking for their eternal destination. That's what your children need. They don't need a buddy. They don't need somebody to say, man, you are awesome looking. You look good. You're, the, you're, you're, you're cool in my friend's eyes. You need to have that mom. You need to be that mom that'll say, you know what? Your friends are bad news for, them, for you. Stop hanging around them. I'm not taking you to their house. You're not going out with them. They're not riding around with you in your car. That's what, that's what this generation needs. Moms that will speak up, be spiritually discerned. So the Shunammite woman, she says, surely this is a man of God. She understood that. She realized that. Mothers with that kind of perception, they see the difference between the things of the world and they see the things of God. We need that. Now she as she carried this conversation on with her husband, you see another very important quality. It says that as she was in the, comp- a comp- in the company of this holy man, Elisha, that she wanted to continue to, to have a place for him. She wanted to build on and add on to the house. My brother... There are more projects than you will ever, ever do in your lifetime. Because there is not one woman in this room who will not expect you to repaint cabinets or walls or trim or build on or add an extra guest bedroom or redo the flower beds or all kinds. You are always going to have plenty to do. So don't ever think that even if you retire that you're not going to have things to do. Oh, she will make sure that you have things to do. Your life will never be bored. You will have things to do. And this Shunammite woman, that's exactly what she was because she said, oh, husband, surely this is a man of God. But notice what else she says. She said, we need to build a room for him. We need to add on, honey. You know, I mean, 2,200 square feet is just not enough for us. We need an extra room. Maybe a game room and a few other things on top of that. But I want you to notice how she approached her husband. The scripture says that she used those words, let us build a small room for him in verse 10. Let us build a small room. Let us do this. I want you to notice that's important. As I read the story, it it stood out to me because it's very important. She was submissive and respectful to her husband. Why? Because she recognized his place in the home. Submission is not a very popular word in our culture, but I'm telling you, it is a godly principle in the Word of God. And the men in the room shouldn't say, oh, yeah, yeah, be submissive. No, the men in the room should say, oh, my God, the responsibility lies on me to lead my family. That's where it stands. And she was respecting of that biblical understanding of that law that had been established many many years ago she understood that and she said let us 
husband, I respect you. Help me. Let's do this together. She acknowledged his place. She acknowledged his involvement in the decision. You know, I mean, I've seen these guys that say, I wear the pants in the family. And then she's over there saying, yeah, and I tell him which pair to wear. Right? We've seen that. What needs to happen is there needs to be a mutual agreement. And it needs to begin with submission. And it starts with mutual submission. And the wife there, the the Shunammite lady, she yielded to her husband. She said, look, he needs to be a part of this. Because I can say, oh, well, this is a man of God. This is what we're going to do. And I'm telling you, that would not have been well. It It wouldn't work well. Because if there was contention in the home, all of a sudden that environment that she had created of welcoming the presence of God would no longer be there. Some of the tension that's created in the homes comes because one or the other are not, submission, are not submissive to both. And so she says, hey, why don't we build a room for this man of God to come to our house? I remember the days, some of you will remember the days when traveling evangelists or whatever when we would have revival and revivals would be a week long they wouldn't it wouldn't just be like a revival service would be a you know sunday monday revival service would last all week how many of you remember those i mean all week long and the evangelists would stay in church or if they were lucky enough they had an rv or some kind of travel home they would stay in the church I remember on numerous occasions, just as a young boy, going back in one of the back Sunday school classrooms of the church, and there was a little cot with a little nightstand, and there was water and just a basin to to wash, and, you know, if he needed to take a shower or whatever, he'd just come to the parsonage. We lived right across the street. Man, those days, those were crazy days, and I'm thinking to myself, that's what old brother Elisha had. He had his... He had a little evangelist quarters right there in the Shunammite woman's house. They had built him a guest room, the Bible says, upstairs. And Elisha and his, and his servant felt at home. And it was because they had both agreed, let's, let's build him a place. And so the story goes on as Elisha and Gehazi, as they make this, this appointment, they come, they come one time and they're sitting there in their room. And Elisha and Gehazi begin to have this conversation. And he asks his servant Gehazi, he says, you know, this is a great family, and she is a wonderful, wonderful lady. What could we do to just bless her? I'm so thankful that she's given us this room. She provides us food. What could we do to bless her? So he tells Gehazi, he says, Gehazi, I want you to go get her and tell her to come. I want to ask her that question. So he does, and she reports to him. And as the Bible says that she's standing there in front of the prophet of God, Elisha, he says, what can we do to just say thanks. What can we do to honor you? How can we bless you back? And I want you to see what she says. She answers the prophet of God in verse 13, and she says this. She says, Oh, I have a home among my people. What can we do? Is there anything we can give you? No, no. I'm okay. I'm all good. I've got a home. I've got things that I, I, all my needs are taken care of. I have all that I need. I don't, I don't, I, I don't need anything. I'm okay. And Elisha, looking at this woman, receives that, and he sees something that's also special about moms, and that is a heart of contentment. But here's what I want you to catch. At that moment, 
she wasn't a mom. For some reason, this couple had never been able to have children. She wasn't a mom when she said, oh, I have everything I need. I'm good. I'm okay. She was still without any children. And you know, in that day, if you didn't have children, it was a tough thing because you were considered a failure as a woman. Your life was considered incomplete. This woman had something that's important for every lady. Whether you're a mom, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whether you have a home but it's not very peaceful. There's something that she had a hold of that helped her. Paul describes it in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. He says, I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. And he repeats that almost exactly when he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, he says, he says, contentment with godliness is of great gain. Contentment. Contentment. Let me just pause and just speak to some of you who I know you're a lady in the room and you don't have children or your situation similar to what I described earlier. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon writes these words. He says, There is a time and a season for every activity under the heavens. Time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, dance, to scatter stones, to gather them, to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, a time to give up, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to mend, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, Time for war and a time to peace. And here's what he says in verse 11 that's so important. He has made everything beautiful in its time. I encourage you, don't sour your heart against God, but be content in every season of your life. Find contentment in every season. The seasons in my life, I see them changing. I see the seasons. Many of you, you're watching your parents grow older. You're watching your mom get older. Your children are watching you get older. The seasons continue on, as the Scripture says. They'll, they'll continue on until the day that the Lord starts all things anew. Those seasons will continue. You're seeing your life and the seasons of your life change. I remember those times when Shannon was a young mom. I remember the times when we were, my kids were in junior high. God help us. And God help you if you have junior high kids. I remember the college graduations, and I remember now looking at empty nests, looking at a time where Shannon and I looked across the table the other day, and once again we were home by ourselves, and it was just quiet. And she's like, this is strange. And I said, yep, get used to it, because this season's coming. But as, as Solomon said, he has made everything beautiful in its time. She answers this prophet and says, I have all I need. Well the, well, the prophet says, okay, 
That's fine. Well, his servant Gehazi says, Master, I just want you to know that she may have everything and that may be all the end of the story because she does not have a child. And so the, Elisha calls her back in and she stands before him and, and he tells her, he says, this time next year you're going to be pregnant, you're going to have a son. And she says, oh, Master, please don't tease me like that. So the scripture says, don't, don't tease me. Don't, don't tell me things that are not going to happen. I've already had a broken heart. It's, par, it's already heavy. Don't, don't tease me like that. And he says, no, in a year. And the Bible goes on, and, he, and that's where the Bible stops. Sure enough, she has a baby. And the cycle continues. Elisha and his servants continue for years going through this house, stopping at the village of Shunem. Until one day, something amazing happens. Tragic, actually. We read it earlier. This boy, probably around 12 years old, he asked if he could go to work with Dad. And Dad says, sure, son, come on. And so they go to work, and they go out into the field, and sometime during the day, the son starts getting a headache. He could have had a heat stroke. Who knows what it might have been. And he says, my head, my head, and he just collapses and those words that the father says when he gets up to see his son and servants, carry him to his mother. One of the servants scooped that little boy up and he runs as fast as he can to the house and he drops him in the arms of this Shunammite woman. And there as she looks at this incredible gift of God, that boy that she had prayed for for so long, and I'm sure she washes his face with a damp cloth, Holding him in her arms, the boy dies. The great thing about this story is that it doesn't end right there. When you read this, you see something amazing about this mother. In that moment of tragedy and loss, instead of panic, you don't see it, you see peace. Instead of fear you see faith you see faith she took her dead son that was laying limp in her arms and she carries him upstairs to the bedroom of this prophet that they had added and she lays him upon the prophet's bed and she goes downstairs and she tells the servant she says go saddle me a donkey i'm heading out to go to the man of god her husband walks in about that time and she was like what are you doing why all this trouble? It's not even, we don't even know exactly where he's at. And she says these words, the words of a woman of faith. She says, everything's going to be all right. And so she jumps on this donkey and she tells the servant, look, don't slow down out on account of me. And they load up and they take off about a 15 mile trip. They take off riding down the road as hard as they can go. With this woman, this mother of faith, going to the man of God. Now, I've known a lot of mothers that have gotten bad news about their kids. Some of you may have struggles with your children. They may be in jail. They may not be serving the Lord. They may be far from you and the distance and the relationship is broken. But can I just encourage you, mother of faith, hold on to that faith hold on to it don't give up on your kids don't lose hope 
that God would somehow, some way, somehow restore them to life. When she gets close to seeing Elisha, the prophet looks out down the road and he sees her coming and he tells his servant, Gehazi, go see how she's doing. Ask about her husband. Ask about her son. When the, when the servant gets to her, he says, hey, how are you doing? How's your husband? How's your son? And she says, once again, everything's okay. What an incredible testimony of faith. She wasn't denying the fact that her son was laying at home dead, but she had a faith in God that no matter what the circumstance was, no matter where her children was, she still had hope that God could do what He could do. And so, Mom, hang on to that hope. How could she say such a thing? Because her relationship with God, she believed that all things were in God's hands even when it looked like nothing was working right. She arrives at the feet of Elisha, and she throws herself at his feet, tells, her, tells him the situation, and Elisha tells Gehazi, take my staff, I want you to go, and I want you to go lay it upon the boy. Thinking that that would just be the cure in the end, the woman stays at the feet of Elisha. It's another quality that you can see in a great mom. She was persistent. This is what she said. She says, as surely as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. It's going to take more than just a stick. It's going to take more than just a good report. It's going to take you going to my house. The presence of God in you is going to need to be a part of my child's resurrection, of his life. It's going to take more than you just sending your servant. I'm staying with you. As surely as the Lord lives, I'm not leaving this place. Elisha says, okay, let's go. About that time, Gehazi comes back. He says, hey, the staff didn't work. He said, it's all right, I'm on my way. Persistence of this woman, she got him there. And when Elisha walks in, he goes upstairs. The Bible says that he pulled the door behind him and he began to pray. And he laid himself upon the body of this child. And he breathed upon him. And he began to walk back and forth in that room. The first time as he began to pray, nothing happened. I'm sure downstairs there was a prayer meeting going on in that family as well. But after some time, the Bible says that he once again laid himself upon this child. And the child sneezed seven times. And he wakes up. The servant comes in and Elisha says these words. He doesn't say carry him to his mother. He says call his mother. I think that's as plain on Mother's Day as you can get. Call your mother. The Bible says it. Call your mother. So they call him. They call her. And she comes upstairs and she receives her son. And she falls at the feet of Elisha, thankful for what he had done. Now, here's the thing that I want you to see, and I'm going to close with this. Daniel, if you'd come. This boy would have never lived had it not been for his mom. Not just giving birth to him. He would have been dead that day had it not been for his mother. Had they not carried this boy to his mother, he would not have lived. This story would not have been in the Scriptures. But instead, 
carry him to his mother brought a miracle about in this son's life because there was a godly mom who was filled with faith, filled with persistence, filled with hospitality and invited the presence of the Lord into her home that saved the life of her child. This boy was as good as dead, but the faith of this mother held on. Let me tell you, you may have a son or a daughter that's far from the Lord, but I want you to know you hang on because because of you, mom, because of you, your children have the possibility of life because you're holding on. You're holding on to God and saying, Lord, don't forget about them. Lord, I plead over them. I ask that you would move. I'm not going anywhere. If it's not for you, mom, who's going to stand and hold the hand of that child? Who's going to carry that child except for you? This story could have been totally different. What if the response would have been, hey, let's carry him to his mother, but his mother doesn't want him. There are children in our culture, in our world right now, in this city. That's the case. I've worked with some recently that you would call in the system, and that's exactly the case. And so as the people of God, we have to fill those gaps. Mom, fill those gaps with those neighborhood kids. If you don't have a child, you'd love to have one, there are gaps that you can fill in the lives of kids in this area to show them what real love, the love of a mother is like. What if the response was, well, we don't know where she is. Carry him to his mother. Well, we don't know where she's at. She... What if the response was, well, well, there's nothing else that she can do for him. There's... What if that was... What if the response was, carry him to his mother. Oh, she's too busy. She's got work and she's got, uh, you know, her, her gym class and then she's got... Uh, you know, this and that, and she's just too busy. What if that was the case? Oh, this child wouldn't be alive. It's important that, we're be- that you become the kind of mother that this child can be carried to. Are you that kind of mom that when someone says carry him to his mother, that you can help bring that child back to life, nourish them, encourage them, lift them up? I close with this. We have so much to owe these moms. I have so much to owe my mother that I walk around with IOUs in my pocket, in the pocket of my mind. And I think, how could I ever pay these moms back? Even in a message, in a sermon, talking about the qualities of a mom. That's great. But to get one day out of the year to applaud our mothers that are up half the nights of their life praying over their kids. I owe, for, I owe my mom for a lot of things. I owe her for being a night watchman because she'd lie awake in her own bed listening for me cough when I was sick, crying over me, waiting for me to come in late and curfew. She had the eye of an eagle, the roar of a lion, and the heart as big as a house. I owe her for that, for being my watchman. I owe my mom for being a short order cook, a chef, a baker. She could make a high dollar steak out of one pound of hamburger meat. She could make it, make tuna fish out of a can, taste like smoked salmon. 
I owe my mom for cleaning services. Not just cleaning my face or my ears. But everything that she did kept me clean. And here's the thing. It wasn't manufactured in China. It was all done by hand. I owe her for washing services and ironing services. Drying all the tears of my childhood and ironing out all of my problems when I was in high school. I owe her for being a bodyguard, protecting me from the terrors of thunderstorms or nightmares. I owe her for being my nurse, medical attention, nursing me through chicken pox, splinters, bruises, runny noses, all those things. I owe her for her advice, like, don't scratch that or it'll never heal. Or don't cross your eyes or they're going to stick like that. I owe her for the vet services for all the mangy, runaway, stray dogs that I would bring home every week. I owe her for entertainment because she kept our house upbeat even in tough times. When there was very little under the Christmas tree on Christmas, Mom still made Christmas worthwhile. When all we had was tube steak, a.k.a. weenies, for Fourth of July, she made it taste like, man, it was, that was wonderful. I owe her for construction work in my life because she built my confidence and hopes and dreams so many times. She laid a good foundation for me to build a life on. I owe my mom for carrying credit for that new pair of boots that I just had to have with the underslung heel. And she bought it and said, you can pay me back later. I owe my mom for the clothes that were less than name brand, and sometimes I would get that name brand when she wouldn't. I owe my mom for doing without sometimes so that I could have. And the nicest thing about all these IOUs, and I'm talking to those of you who are in the room that are thinking about your mom. There is one thing that will, you can do that you can mark that entire bill paid in full. It's four simple words, and they are this. Mom, I love you. And the bill is paid. Moms, we thank you. I thank you today all that you do I encourage you to be the turning point in this generation in this culture be women of God lead your home toward the Lord be a godly mom take an example of this Shunammite woman and be the kind of woman that all of these all of your children and even the children of this church can pattern their lives after be that mom that if anybody says, hey, I know what we need to do, carry him, carry her to his mother, that everything will be all right. 
Would you bow your head with me this morning? Lord, I thank you today for your precious word. Thank you, Lord, for this church. And Father, I thank you for the many, many godly women, Lord, in this church that you have, Lord, blessed us with. This body of faith, Lord, is strong because of the many godly ladies that you have put here in our midst. Many of them, Lord, they have led their families through difficult times, and they have stayed faithful to you. Some, Lord, they don't even have children of their own, but they've adopted those in this church, Lord, as their own. They've served, Lord God, in places, Lord, that I know is exhausting, Lord, in many days, Lord, they've even held children in our nursery so that another mother could enjoy the presence of the Lord worship. I thank you, O God, for these ladies, and I pray that, God, that you would just encourage each one today to continue, Lord, to walk in faith before their family, before their children. I pray your special blessing upon them today. And Lord, that you would speak encouragement into their life. Lord, those, Lord, whose children, Lord, are far from you. And Lord, these mothers, Lord, who grieve, Lord, because of it, I pray that, Lord, that you would encourage them to, Lord, hold on to faith, to keep calling their children's name out in prayer. Lord, so your spirit, Lord, would continue to identify their child as someone who needs to have that conversation with the Father. I praise you and I thank you, Lord, for these godly women. And as they go today, Lord, I pray that they would enjoy these moments, the seasons that they are in their life. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, that you would remind them how much care that you have for them in their life and what they have done. I praise you today and I thank you on this Mother's Day. And we give you glory and honor and everybody in the room said amen. 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 Would you stand with me? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I didn't know that Shannon was leaving so so soon because I was going to have her her conclude. But I am going to do this. Maria, would you come? I want you to dismiss us in prayer. This is a godly mom right here. She is actually, she is one of the elders in our church. She is on our board. She served on our board since I've been, uh, you know, since we've been in this building. And uh, you know what? She adds a total new dimension in our board meetings. Uh, She's got... She's got kids as old as I am, so she can tell me, hey, look, this is what we need to do. So I thank God for this lady and all of you moms here. I want you to just conclude us in prayer today, Maria. Father, we thank you for the honor of being here. Thank you for the honor you have bestowed on us to be mothers to those who need us for the blessings that you have given us. I ask, Lord, right now that each mom would just Feel your arms around them and that you would just lead them forward, Father, for your honor and for your glory. Thank you again for this service.
Thank you for our pastors. I ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in the name of the Lord. You're dismissed. Have a wonderful Mother's Day. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.